Good morning, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional and happy new year. We are continuing with our readings through the Gospel of Luke. Now, since we're in Luke 2, we're going to be covering some of the same passages that we have read uh, during Advent and are seemed, you know, are generally associated with Christmas, though technically we are still in the season of Christmas. It is 12 days of Christmas. Advent is not the end of uh, Advent and uh, December 25th is not the end of Christmas. Uh, but we're going to be taking a um, slightly more in-depth view in some ways, or maybe in some other ways, a, uh, a step back to look at sort of the big picture of what's going on. So even though these are passages that we have been uh, reading a lot of, hopefully we'll have a slightly different perspective. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, although we're just going to read verses 1 through 12. So Luke chapter 2, 1 through 12. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, there came the time the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dave, uh, that that closing verse there uh, that you'll that this will be the sign for you that you'll find this baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger, uh, it reminds me of something that uh, N. T. Wright, the uh, bishop and theologian, uh, said uh, in, in talking about this passage, where he said that um, it reminded him of training a dog. Like when you when you're training a dog and you point at something. Uh, oftentimes, uh, especially at first, the dog will just look at your finger instead of what you're pointing at. This happens with uh, babies as well. And, and sometimes this is what happens with Christmas. Like all the signs of Christmas, all the things going on in Christmas are God pointing to something. And we end up just looking at God's finger instead of looking at what God is pointing to. And even here, the manger uh, you know, we all have a lot of us have these these manger scenes for Christmas. And maybe you just put them away because it's you know New Year's coming around. Um, and if we get enamored with the manger and all that's going on in that, really, we're like this dog that's looking at the, the owner's finger, but not looking at where the owner is pointing. Because this is a sign, even the, this uh, baby lying in a manger is a sign to let the shepherds know that this one, this baby that they found, maybe there's more than one baby in Bethlehem at this moment, but the one that they found, this is the one who is the promised Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. And that's what God is pointing to in this. And there's a lot of other things going on here that I see as signs that are, are pointing us to something we're supposed to be looking at. And Luke is doing this by uh, laying aside these comparisons. There's a lot of twos in this passage. There are two kingdoms. First of all, there's the, the kingdom of the Roman Empire. 
And then there is the kingdom of God, which is coming into this world. Uh, there are these two kings. This is uh, the time of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus had uh, recently defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Uh, Caesar Augustus uh, had established peace throughout the empire, was literally worshipped as a god in many places, had declared his adoptive father Julius to be a god. And there was a, a comet in the sky that uh, at the time of Caesar's funeral that uh, they were saying was a sign that, that Caesar had ascended to the heavens. And so there's this very, uh, all these powerful images of worldly power that are present at this moment. And if you were writing a, a fiction story, it would just seem too on the nose to take the greatest empire, you know, perhaps in the world at the height of that empire and say, okay, this is the moment where we're going to write the hero into the story and have him born in humble circumstances to draw this contrast. That would just seem too on the nose. And yet that's exactly what happens. We have this uh, king born in humility born in a, you know, laying in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, who's laid alongside uh, this emperor at the same time. And you have this stark contrast between the kingdom of this world and all its pomp and circumstance and the height of its power laid alongside this kingdom of God, which comes in the form of this child Jesus. And all of these signs are meant to point us to the fact that this is the kingdom of God entering into the world, giving us an alternative vision of reality, the true vision of reality. It's going to be so upside down because our world is upside down. And in order for God to set things right, it's going to look upside down from our perspective. Things are going to seem so strange and, and, and bizarre uh, because our world is so upside down and God has to set it right. And this is where John the Baptist is going to come in later. And, and uh, Pastor Walt spoke about that this, this Sunday. Uh, talking about uh, the beginning message of John the Baptist and kind of that values gap and all of that. But really what's going on is God is pointing us to this greater reality that God has taken on flesh, entered into this world, and is inviting us in to be a part of that kingdom rather than uh, the kingdom of this world. And the first people who get to see this see are the shepherds, and they see it because of this sign of this baby in the manger. And that's what really Christmas is about. It's not about a baby in the manger, as important as that is, but it's about this larger kingdom, the kingdom of God entering into our world. Dave, I'm wondering what you see in today's passage. You know, as you describe all of this stuff, if you, I think it's easy for us in our day to look back and kind of, this is ancient trivia. You need to remind us, like, who's Augustus? And, what? oh, he's adopted? And, oh, okay, an emperor? I, I see. You know what I mean? It's, it's, um, so it feels a little bit, like well, his you know, like it's ancient history because it's ancient history, and um, I think the uh, and, and I think as we hear all this, I think first of all because we've heard these stories read so many times because they are so central to the Christmas story, we hear them every year. We learn to tune them out, and, and then we understand these are like figures. And uh, but can you imagine the time that that Luke is writing this, and the the people to whom Luke is writing are reading this. This is still happening like you know that it, it's still the roman empire is here and and still they're being oppressed that all of this is actually very live and still the consequence of resisting that kingdom can be lethal you know it, um, this is radical and revolutionary that's it, the, that's what it is right now when we read it it sounds quaint 
but it's radical. It's revolutionary. People are getting anxious as they read this, right? Like, whoo, whoo, okay, I see where you're going. You know, there's this anxiety. But but what Luke is trying to do, which again, I think this, this radical nature of what Luke is writing gets lost as we read it through this historical lens. Luke is challenging us to join a revolution, right? An insurrection. And so if, if it doesn't make you nervous, you're not reading it the right way. That there's this way that Luke is saying, hey, look, I'm not just calling you to be nice, docile citizens. No, I'm calling you to overthrow this, this empire and live according to the, 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 the dictates and under the authority of a different one, right? It's a revolution from within. And so, and, and Luke sets this up right in the beginning, right? I mean, this is now a, a tension. And the entire rest of Luke's gospel has to be understood in this light. Because me, as the as the reader, I'm thinking, okay, I'm being challenged from everything that happens here on out to make a choice. I'm going to choose which kingdom I'm going to live in. And it's funny because now I think Christians are often the, the ones who are trying to be the, the good, good, nice neighbors and the good citizens and the hoop de doo you know, kind of what is that, the, the fellow in the Ned Flanders and the Simpsons, you know, we're, we're trying to be the good guy. And, uh, and yet there is something really radical about the kind of people who are, are going to be following Jesus and are not going to obey the, the current kingdom. We're not going to cooperate with what we're being expected to do. You know, we're not going to meet the expectations and demands of our society. And I, I think it, it's funny that these days, radicals are a lot of times the ones pushing against the Christian normativity, whereas Christians, the Christ followers, too often are the ones actually enforcing it. And I think it ought to be the other way around that the Christ followers are saying, no, that all of the, the ideologies that are telling us it's all about you, you need to be happy, right? Nowadays, it's not, I need to serve Caesar, it's I need to serve myself. And the Christian message is just as radical. Saying, no, 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 all that money you have, it's not just for you. Yeah, the purpose of your life, it's not just to, you know, maximize your own potential. All of these, these narratives are so embedded. I was just I literally yesterday at church, I was talking to a couple who's about to get married and, and talk about the, the, as they're planning their wedding, the immense pressure that they feel to, to, you know, kind of make it, it's, it's our special day, right? And you realize this is what feeds the whole bride, bridezilla mentality, that it, it's all about you. And, you know, you've got to make it this kind of fantasy thing. And I was telling them, no, the best wedding advice is actually the same as the best marriage advice. The best marriage advice is it's not about you, right? It's about you serving the other person as your way of serving Jesus. The best wedding advice, you want to have a great wedding? Forget the steak and salmon. Nobody wants the steak and salmon. What they want is to see something sacred. They want to see some people who are actually laying down their lives to follow Jesus by serving somebody else, giving up their lives for somebody else. And so... Right? And if they can see that, and as you go into your wedding, instead of having the guests serve you, you're there to serve the guests. You're there actually to, to genuinely love them and allow them into this sacred moment. People don't care about whether you have caviar if you don't have that, right? They want intimacy. And, and so I feel like that that's the, the substance. But I think right now as Christians, we have to fight against the, the ideologies of our current empire, right? That are defined by all of these sort of... Uh, you know, capitalistic demands and, and, you know, wanting power without effort, all of that. We need to fight against it and have this radical, you got to choose one side or the other. You're with us or you're against us. That's what I see in this, this passage, right? And then, you know, Mary, 
who's being asked to do this in a sense first, right? Terrifying. This young, young girl, she makes that bold decision back in chapter one. She makes the bold decision say, okay, I'm in. I don't know what I'm signing up for, but I'm signing up. And, and that's the kind of the, the model of discipleship that now we're being called to it. So now we're starting to see, hey, this isn't just for Mary. It's for all of us. And that's what's going to follow, not just in the rest of this chapter, but in fact, in the rest of this book. And I'm telling you, the reason I'm telling you all of this and, and belaboring it so much, it's New Year's Day. This is the day people make resolutions. Don't settle for making a resolution to lose 10 pounds, right? That's the most superficial thing we can do. Do something much more substantial. Make a resolution to resist the, the, the empire, the, the ideologies that are leading us towards self-centeredness. Make some kind of resolution to join the resistance. What is it going to look like? How are you going to join the resistance with your time or with your money or with your priorities or your relationships? What are you going to actually do to join the resistance? That, I think, is the call that, that is you know, coming out of this passage. And I think it's the call that a lot of us need to hear this year. We need to be different. We're not just good people who you know go along to get along. We're fighting a resistance to overcome an empire of evil and destroy it with the weapon of love. And that's what we're, we're here to do. So that's my charge, but I feel like that's what comes right out of this. You can even ask yourself the question when you face a choice like, does this path lead to building the kingdom of God or does it lead to building someone else's kingdom or, or my kingdom and, and to recognize that we do have a choice to be made. That's right. I can fit in with the world or I can follow Jesus, but I probably can't do both. Well, I, I think this is going to take a lot of discernment, but we've got a long time going through Luke and uh, I, we we've got a great and awesome God who can help us along the way. Dave, I'm wondering if you would uh, pray for us that the spirit would be guiding us through this. Yeah. Let's pray together. God, we want to join your revolution. We want to experience your kingdom. God, we, we want to extend its influence. God, we want more and more people to experience your kingdom. God, I pray that as we study your word, as we go through the book of Luke over the, the months ahead, God, I pray you're going to be showing us what does it look like to follow you when we're tempted to fit in. God, we pray that this will not just be a new year, but in fact, that we would be new people. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. I hope that you were blessed by our time together, and I hope that blessing helps you become a blessing to those around you. Go in peace.